Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Good morning. I hope all of you are doing well. It's good to see all of you, even though I can't physically see you, that you're joining us online. Uh, It's a great privilege to be able to speak God's word to you. Let's continue to be praying, um, believing that in the next couple weeks, the whole band will be lifted and uh, we can worship together as one body coming together. I think that's going to be so important. So we're looking forward to being able to do that. So let's be in prayer. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, all the way through verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Uh, as you have, it has been mentioned before, we do have all our notes on our church app. So if you haven't downloaded that, please do so. And also you could just kind of follow along as we go over this new series. I'm excited for this new series. Uh, We decided to call it Flip the Switch. Now some of you are thinking, where did that come from? And it comes from this famous, now getting more famous, social media platform called TikTok. Now I know very well that there are many of us here who are watching this who might have no clue what that is. And you have to be probably a Gen Y, or at least minimally Gen Y, and then it's mostly for the Gen Gen Z, those who are younger, probably a little bit younger than college or in college. So uh, let me just explain a little bit so you know where we got this title sermon series. I want to try to explain that for those of us who are a little bit older and why we decided to do it. it. The whole flip the switch challenge came about Because what happens is that uh, two people who are dressed completely different will, for about 10 seconds, uh, just kind of one person will probably be dancing, the other person is just kind of standing there uh, videotaping. And then you're supposed to flip the switch, like turn off the lights. And then as soon as it gets dark, the roles switch over and the person who dressed a certain way then dresses just like that other person and the outfit is switched and so they just call it flip the switch and talking about turning things around and so i wanted to show you uh, just a couple pictures uh what made it really famous and kind of blew up online was j-lo uh and uh a-rod who uh they did a a tiktok and did the flip the switch a challenge so you'll see a picture here and so that they made it famous and so as you look at it you could tell right away uh, the one on the left uh, is the normal one and then they turn off the lights and then they switched it and then you see how they dress differently so for this whole series uh, we decided to go all the way and be like serious about this so uh, pastor Bo and I, we did a flip the switch. So you'll you'll see it here. And so if you want to see the real one, it's on TikTok. And those of you, once again, if you don't know what it is, you can download it. Or you can just go to uh, my Twitter and then there's a link to that. So you can watch that. Uh, It's kind of interesting. So this whole idea of flipping the switch, what is that about? What we're saying is that in the midst of everything that's going on with not only the pandemic, And now, as you know, that a lot of businesses are going out of business and there are many people who are losing jobs. We're talking about there is a situation that's going on globally that is affecting so many people. And I think the first reaction is either to complain or we wonder to ourselves, what is going on? 
And this is where we have to pause and wonder, like, what is it that God is doing? Is he flipping the switch to help us to see things that we haven't seen before? Is he doing something in our lives that maybe he wanted to speak to us for so many months and so many years? And we failed to listen because of the busyness, because of all the craziness that goes on here in Hong Kong and maybe wherever you're watching this from. And so what God is doing, he's trying to flip the switch so that we can see things in the way that he wants us to see it. And that's how we're going to do a three-part series in this Flip the Switch series. And the first part is Flip the Switch on Relationships, which I'm going to talk about today. And then the second part is Flip the Switch in Resources. We're going to be talking about how God gave us time, treasure, and talents. How do we use those resources and now leverage, leverage them in light of everything that's going on? How do we use it now for the glory of God? And then the third part will be Flip the Switch in reaching out. And that's something that God has called us to do, how to love people around us and how to serve those who are uh, in different situations that we can minister to with the love of God. And so in the midst of this whole lockdown, as we're talking about flip the switch in relationships, I think one thing is for sure. And the one thing is that a lot of relationships have come forth and it's been exposed for what they are. Well, let me explain what I mean by that a little bit. I think there are a lot of relationships, whether it's with family or maybe with our friends or our co-workers. We've come to the realization that maybe it's not what we thought it was. Or maybe some of us, we thought that things were going really well, but then we kind of looked at it from a different angle, especially with the whole lockdown and when there was a ban of going out. And that, then we realized maybe our relationship isn't as strong as I once thought. For some of us, maybe it was better than what we thought it was. And, and so when we think through it, we realize that this time that we have, we're able to now get closer together and even make new friendships and new connections. And so we want to look at this and see, well, how do we improve on some of these relationships? What is it that the Spirit of God is trying to speak to us about when it comes to relationships. So I wanted to show you this video. Uh, it's a funny video. It's, there's a guy named Trey Kennedy. He is a comedian. Uh, he's a, a believer in Christ, but he likes to make all these different videos. And the video that he made just recently was about a couple during quarantine and how they interact with one another and how that really surfaces a lot of different issues in a couple's life. So he plays himself and he does the husband and he also plays the wife. But you will tell that it's the wife because he has a scarf around his neck. So that's the wife. And then he will be the husband. And just I want you to see their interaction and some of the stuff that goes on. It's a little bit funny. And so I hope you enjoy it. And this is some of the stuff that goes on relationally as we are trapped together, stuck together during this whole lockdown. So let's watch it together. <laughs> I'm wondering how many couples can relate. And it's not just couples, but as they think about the whole work from home, even online classes, and with the whole shutdown and lockdown, as many of you know, it has brought up a lot of different issues relationally with people around us, those we love and even those who are around us that we might not know. And so I want to talk about that today as we talk about the importance of flipping the switch when it comes to relationships. I think for some of us, we might be questioning every relationship we have right now, but it's important to understand that this is a great time to reevaluate 
and to understand the importance of learning how to love people around us. I'd like to read for you this quote by Frederick Bichner, and he says this in his book, The Magnificent Defeat. He says this, your life and my life flow into each other as wave flows into wave. And unless there is peace and joy and freedom for you, there will be no real peace or joy or freedom for me. To see reality, not as we expect it to be, but as it is, is to see that unless we live for each other and in and through each other, we do not really live very uh, satisfactorily. That there can really be life only where there really is in this, uh, in this sense, love. So a great reminder that truly that a life is always connected with other people. And it's only when we genuinely learn to love people around us, especially those that God has brought in our lives, we're not going to experience the true life that God has for us. So as we talk about flipping the switch on relationships, I want to talk about everything that go, with everything that's going on in this world I want to talk about how we can strengthen some of those relationships. So the one thing is simply this. The one thing is that we must do relationships differently so that we can help each other patiently. That we must do relationships differently so that we can help each other patiently. There, uh, there are two things that I want to talk about when we're talking about this whole relationship and how it must be done differently as we try to help each other patiently. The first thing that I want to focus in on as we look into the Word of God is that we must challenge each other, that we must challenge each other. Let me just first address this. I think for many of us, the way we grew up, I think it affects the way we understand this phrase of learning how to challenge one another. Some of us, we come from a family where that's all we do, and we've experienced just on the other end of being challenged. And so we take that to the extreme, even now, and constantly when we look at other people, when we're interacting with other people, whether it's our self-righteous attitude, it might be just even our lack of love, and it's easy to challenge people without that grace and without that love. Some of us are on the other extreme, where we avoid conflict at all means possible. We're talking about we don't want to see any conflict. We don't want to go through anything that is uh, that are, are difficult. And for some of us, I think it's tied in with people pleasing. We want to find approval from certain people in our lives, whether it's those that we respect or it might be even just people that we're trying to gain uh, at least some reputation with. And it's so easy for us to then to avoid any challenge whatsoever, even though we know that these are things that are not helping either the relationship with you or with other people. And so we want to kind of come towards the middle, which I believe is a very biblical thing of learning how to love people, speak the truth and challenge, but yet do it with grace. And I think that's very important. So let me just go ahead and uh, elude you to the Hebrew passage. Let me first say that from Hebrews chapter one, verse t- uh, chapter one, all the way to chapter ten. So the first ten chapters of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews was trying to show the supremacy of Christ, and that the gifts of salvation that Christ was offering was through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and His death on the cross. That's the whole 
first 10 chapters, we're talking about everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And now in this section, in chapter 10, there's this invitation to fully enter into this reality of salvation, which has been purchased by, uh, for us by Christ. So let's go ahead and read verse 23 through 24. Uh, once again, as I mentioned, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 23 and also verse 24. This is what the Word of God says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's just pause here and look at this, uh, these two verses and then we'll try to understand the importance of learning how to challenge one another when it comes to good relationship. Right away, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of two things. The first thing is that we must hope in God, placing our hope in God and God alone. Look at verse 23 again. The phrase, it says, let us hold fast. That phrase is important because it literally means to hold down. Let me give you some other translations of that phrase. In the Amplified Version, it says, let us seize and hold tightly. The NIV says, let us hold unswervingly. And then the message translation says, let's keep a firm grip. But the question is this, what are we holding onto? What is it that God is telling us to hold tightly or unswervingly to? And it's important to know, and this is something that we need to establish here. It's a theological issue, but I want you to understand that it is important to note it is not about holding onto our salvation. Now, why is this important? Because our security, when it comes to being saved and salvation, our security is in Christ Jesus and what He has done for us on the cross. It is the finished work of Christ. And therefore, what we could not do, which is to earn salvation or to save ourselves, Jesus Christ did that for us. So that means that once you are saved, genuinely saved, you will never lose your salvation. Now, I know that there are some people and even from some camps that believe that you can lose your salvation. But if a person is genuinely saved because the work of Christ has purchased them and gave them a new identity, now as they are children or a child of God, that that is something that is forever secured. Let me give you a verse on that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. I'll go ahead and read the yellow highlighted portions with me. It says this, Therefore He is able also to save forever, completely, perfectly, for eternity, those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with God. So once again, it's a reminder for us that those who are saved, that God came to save by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, that we are now forever saved and completely, perfectly, and for eternity. Now, so once again, when the writer of Hebrews says to hold on tightly, firmly, unswervingly, it is not holding on to our salvation because we're forever saved if you are a genuine believer and there's a regeneration of your heart before God. But when you look at the rest of verse 23, we see that it is learning how to hold on, and it says here, confession of our hope without wavering. 
So this is what we're supposed to hold on to. That it is the confession of our hope in Jesus Christ who saves us by His grace. It's learning how to believe and to trust that what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and then rose again from the dead, that is the faith that we have and that is the hope that we have that we hold on to. Now it's important to note here also the word wavering. It is translated as to lean towards. So once again, if you read that verse 23, it talks about how the confession of our hope without wavering, without leaning towards. And so this will help us to understand. And it's simply this, that there were some believers who were wavering from the old life. And being a Jew, many of them, they worshiped Yahweh, the God, but then they did it through the ritualistic observance of all the religious practice of sacrificing animals and doing all these observances of the law. And so that is the old way. But Jesus Christ came and He fulfilled the law and the prophets. And so He was the truly the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice, the Messiah for us. And that is the direction that many of these believers who were Jewish in background decided to take. They said, I trust in Jesus as the Messiah. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, that the confession of our hope in Jesus Christ is what we hold on to and we do it unwavering. We do not waver in this because that means that there was a temptation for many of these younger believers, the Jewish background believers, to lean towards and go back to the old way of life. Now, why is this significant? Because I think this describes many of us. When you think about some of us who came to know Jesus Christ, uh, some of us might have been just recently, for some of us it might have been some years back, but there's always that tug, that always that temptation to go back to the old way of life. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying that our confession of our hope that we have and we are not wavering and holding still, what he's saying is don't lean towards going back to the old ways, but hold on to the way that is led by Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews was challenging the believers to cling on to Christ instead of going back and forth. The reason why we can have this kind of hope and not waver is because it says here that God is faithful. Uh, let's all say that together. Can you say that? God is faithful. Let's say it together. God is faithful. And so you understand that it's not based on us. It's not about how hard we try, but it's because God is faithful. Let me give you some verses on that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 in the New Living Translation, it says this, and read the yellow highlighter with me. It says this, God will do this for He is faithful to do what He says and He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 in the ESV, it says this, He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. What a great reminder that because of His faithfulness, we are able to now through our confession of a hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we will not waver or lean towards going back to the old way of life. And because of that, as believers in Jesus Christ, 
We need to learn how to challenge each other with this truth and with this hope that we have. How about us this morning? I'm wondering if some of you are able to challenge those around us, not in a judgmental way, but understanding God's faithfulness in your life as well as in someone else's life. And if they're leaning towards or feeling this tug to go back to the old way of life or even those things that they felt like they overcame. But in the midst of this whole COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there's an increase of people going back into old addictions. There are people who are struggling with things that they felt like they overcame, but now they're struggling through with some of these things again and again. And so the tug is there to be able to speak the truth and to be able to challenge them and to say that this is not God's heart for you, that He is faithful and He's going to do it, but we have to trust Him and put our hope in Him and Him alone. Another thing that we see here as we talk about being challenged and also just challenging one another is that we must not only hope in God, but it's interesting it says that we must help each other. Now in verse 24, we are told to consider how to stir one another up. How do you stir up one another? The word consider means to have our mind attentively fixed on or a continuous care. Now, this is important because the emphasis is to pay close attention to each other's spiritual welfare. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying when he says to consider how to stir up one another. He's saying that you, you got to think about the other person. You got to think about the people that are around you. Uh, some of you know that during my uh, sabbatical, I was able to go on 10 hikes. Uh, that was a goal that I set for myself. And so that's what I did. And I think one of the harder hikes, I saved that towards the end. But sometime in January, I went on a difficult hike. And it was a hike that literally had, and some of you know the story, uh, it was 1,200 1, steps. And so in my mind, I was thinking, um, I'm going to go hiking with my second son, Elliot. So I said, you know, he, he, he runs, he's a collegiate athlete. He runs track. So I said, I don't want to go on a wimpy one, you know. You know, I'm still his father. So, you know, you got to show them that you still have uh, some strength and energy. So I said, I know this one hike that I think we're going to be able to do. It's going to be a little bit hard. And I told him about the 1,200 steps that we're going to go on. So I was trying to describe this, and in my mind, I was thinking to myself this. I remember going on the hike, and I remember dying, almost dying. Not like dying physically, but I guess dying physically, but just exhausted. It was very difficult. But it was during the one desire fast. So in my mind, I was thinking, man, that was a hard hike, but then I was fasting. So then I said, this hike is going to be easier because now I'm, I'm, I'm rested, and we're going to go out on this hike. So in my mind, I'm thinking this is going to be a little bit easier than before. So we decided to go to our favorite place. Uh, this is our favorite place, uh, Tim Ho One. And here's Elliot, as you can see him. He's uh, fueling up right now. And as he's fueling up, uh, we just first got the buns, incredible buns there. And so here we are fueling up. And then we finally got to the place, and we're going on this hike. And as we're going on this hike... Next picture, I don't know if we could see the next picture here. 
So we're kind of went to at least one part of the hill. So it was a great accomplishment. So this was, and I knew this path because this was right before the 1200 step hill that we had to climb up. So we accomplished that. And then here's a, here's another picture that we took right after we got done with the climbing up the steps. As you can tell, he is dying. But one of the things that happened, one of, one of the things that happened is that as we were climbing up, I can tell that Elliot, it was a piece of cake. Uh, I was the one breathing really hard. I was the one kind of struggling through all this. And I told him, Elliot, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead uh, and then tell me how many more steps we have. Just, just go ahead. And I remember literally he said, no, I'll wait for you, Dad. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm slowing him down. So I'm like, I'm going to go through this. So I decided I'm going to take at least, I got to get at least a certain distance. I climbed maybe another 15 steps and I couldn't go any further. So we were literally stuck. And so we rested for a little, well, let me, I rested for a little bit. And then afterwards we went another 20 some steps and I had to rest again. Now, the funny thing about this whole experience was that there were people who were all dying. All of us were dying. And, you know, it was, cause it was funny because I will go 20 steps and then I will rest. And then this next couple or this other group will go past us, but they will rest right up there. And then once we got our breath, we will then climb up another 20 steps. And we were doing this all the way up. Now, why am I sharing this story? Because when I thought about Elliot, he was attentively fixed on me. He thought I was going to die. I mean, there were a couple of times I almost like slipped backwards, but uh, he was in this continual sense of care. And so as I was thinking about it, not only is he a nice guy, but as I was thinking about this, I realized that is what helped me to finally get to the top and so that we could then go descend down and go all the way to uh, Stanley. And so the next picture that you see here is the picture of a sunset as we got there towards the evening and we just kind of were chilling at one of the restaurants there and just enjoying the view and enjoying all that was happening uh, around us. And as I was kind of thinking about this, I just realized that I, I don't know if I would have been able to make it just on my own, but having him there helped me tremendously. And I think this is the kind of consideration that we need when we think about stirring up one another. The phrase to stir up is interesting because it means to provoke or to incite, to sharpen or to stimulate. And so it's all about pushing, but yet not to the point where you're demolishing somebody, but it's really just stirring them up, encouraging them, helping them in their walk with God. Listen to what the New Living Translation says and read the highlighted yellow with me. It says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another. So this idea of motivating is a better idea, this better concept of when it says stir up. Uh, listen to the voice translation and read the highlighted yellow. It says this, let us consider how to inspire each other. So this idea of inspiring or motivating is what helps us when we think about challenging one another. So it's not only the hope that we have in God and God alone, but it's also learning how to help one another when you're challenging each other. So this is why relationships, it will be different as we patiently 
learn to help each other in this way. Now the question is, but provoke, motivate, inspire each other for what reason? At the end of verse 24, it says, for love and good works. The call to love and to respond to God's mercy by doing good works is for all believers. James chapter 2, verse 17 through 18 in the ESV says this, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But somebody will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Let me read it to you in the message translation. Listen to what it says, the same two verses. It says, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Let me just pause here. And what he's saying is this, they are not mutually exclusive. When we talk religious talk, when we talk a good talk, you got to back it up with the things that we do. It has to be consistent. And then in verse 18, listen to what it says. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. And read this together with me. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. What that simply means is that they have to go together. How about us this morning? Do you have people in your life who are helping you? People who are challenging you and helping you to grow? Uh, Not just growing in your spiritual life and feeling like you're better than everyone else, but growing in love growing in good works. I'm wondering in your relationship with people, are you uh, tentatively caring for them? Are you looking to where where they are and the needs that they have to be able to minister to them? We must challenge each other. I want to pause here and give us some time. I know many of you are meeting in smaller huddle groups Uh, with your life groups or with other people around you. And we wanted to take this time and to give you about seven minutes, not too long, we don't have too much time, but just a a brief moment to huddle together and just talk about these two questions. The first question is, who are some people in your life that helped you or help you and motivate you to live for God? And the second question is, why is it so hard to challenge one another to do things that we ought to do as a believer? So I'm going to go ahead and give you Uh, seven minutes and please talk amongst yourselves you're not gonna have much time so you're gonna have to quickly share Uh, and then uh, we'll give you a a little time frame of when we want you to come back but once again it's about seven minutes and then we'll finish off with the second point i hope we had a good time in your huddle group and as we talked about that we must challenge one another and as we think about relationships and doing it differently we have to help each other and support each other uh, patiently so let me just close out with the second point the second point is this that we must commit to each other not only must we challenge each other but we must commit to each other i'm going to go ahead and read verse 25 and as we close out with this verse we want to talk a little bit about the importance of just committing to one another so it says this not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
in this last verse, we, we notice two exhortation by the writer of Hebrews. One is a negative one, and the other is more of a positive one. And the first exhortation deals with not neglecting to meet together. Now, the word neglect is translated as to forsake, to let down, or to abandon. So it says, don't forsake this gathering or meeting together or abandoning it. It's interesting that the word meeting is where we get the word assemble. And this comes from the word synagogue. So if you study this very carefully, you'll notice that the synagogue, it means to assemble together, gathering in this place. And that's where we get the word meeting. Therefore, it's understood that when the writer of Hebrews was writing this, that he was referring to some kind of formal gathering of some kind, and believers were told not to forsake it or to abandon it. Now, it seems like some of the believers might have had this habit of neglecting this responsibility of assembling together. But the question is this, why is this important? And you have to understand it in the context of the early church. Because in the early church, they believed uh, the importance of gathering together as believers in Jesus Christ. If you remember in Acts chapter 8, that's when the persecution began to happen in Jerusalem. And that's where all the believers, except for the apostles, all the believers were scattered in Judea and Samaria. And when you read the book of Acts, you realize more and more the gospel began to spread to other parts of the world. Now the thing is this, that they needed to gather, gather together because they believed that it was such an important thing to their faith. Now, we have to remember that due to the persecution, some of the Christians might have been deterred from coming together or even discouraged from gathering. You know, I couldn't help but just thinking about this, uh, that was kind of similar to a lot of the situations we faced this past year. Uh, when the protests first happened, and even with this now pandemic, um, you know, we we're trying to find ways to still gather together because we believe it's a very biblical thing. And that's why if some of you know that in our church, we were doing everything possible to take every precaution, but also to be still true to the word of God, to gather together as best as we could. And once the government put the law down that we could not gather more than four people, then that's when we decided to go completely online as we are doing at this very moment. But the value is this. It's not so much how we gather, but it's why we gather. Because I think we can gather even just like this right before you. We're gathering online, streaming this, and we're gathering in smaller groups of three or fours, and we're able to have community. But as many of you know, is that it is not an easy thing to do everything that we see in Scripture just online. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering... How many of you are zoomed out? And there's no pun intended there, but you're simply saying, you know what, that's too many online video conferencing that I'm going to. Uh, there's a lot of fatigue of people just gathering together online. And in fact, there's articles that says the reason why it's more tiring is because you have to engage more because it's hard to see body language. You have to understand what it is they're trying to say. In person, you're able to read their body language. You're able to feel the tone of everything, but it's different when you're online. And so why is this important? Why is it important that we should meet together? Because I think it creates opportunities 
for us not only to challenge one another, and I'm not saying that you can't do it over video conferencing, but there are certain things that you cannot experience fully just online. Even just worship, it's different when we're gathered together, when you hear other people's voices singing together, you experience something different. When you think about serving, there are many of us who are on different ministry teams who are not serving as we would have if we were to gather it together. And so it's easy just to kind of get complacent and say, you know what, I'm just going to wake up and do the service and I'm done. But part of spiritual growth is learning how to serve. So there are so many things why I believe gathering together as the body of Christ is such an important thing. That's why the word synagogue or the assembly was used here because it is a gathering together of people in a public setting. Now it's interesting to note that here, the emphasis here is not on what the believer gets, listen to me carefully, from this community or from the assembly, but rather what he can or he or she can contribute to the assembly. Let me just pause here and let that sink in a little bit. When the writer of Hebrew was writing this in chapter 10, he wasn't focused on what you can get, but he was thinking more of what you can give, how you can serve, how you can help somebody, how you could be committed to those people or to that community. Listen to what N.T. Wright said in his book, Simply Christian. He writes this, The church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for His kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build up one another in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another and teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. All This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. This doesn't just mean serving one another cups of tea and coffee. It's all about living within that sense of a joint enterprise, a family business in which everyone has a proper share and a proper place, end quote. What a great reminder that when we gather together in these relationships that God has given to us, especially in our life group, when we gather together in our accountability groups called LCGs, when we gather together corporately as a whole church, To be able to not only worship, but to serve people who are there. Serving in different ministry teams. There is something that happens where there's a greater ownership. And we're part of a family, God's family. And we're building up that local body of Christ there. I'm wondering, are we committed to each other in this way? I think, as I was thinking about this, I think for many people, we have become very consumeristic. It's all all about consumption. And I think this is the reason why we see so many people committed to several churches and several fellowships. Now, I'm going to say this very carefully because maybe some of you are in that situation, but I want to challenge you. Because when you think about this, there are a lot of people who will go to a place on Sunday because they like the worship, they like the preaching, but then they go to another fellowship or another church because they like the community there. They like the life group. And then they'll go to another fellowship or another church that has really good accountability. And so if you think about it, it's all about you. It's about what you can get. 
So you can get this from this church. You can get this from this other church. You can get this from this fellowship. And if you just think about this for a moment, what is it that you're giving? And this is the reason why I stress and I try to emphasize this, to learn how to commit to one church. It doesn't mean that you can't listen to other sermons. It doesn't mean that you can't do other things. But learn how to be rooted in one place and learn how to build up that place. Learn how to strengthen and to serve and as you challenge, as you commit to people in that community. It will change your life. So instead of consuming all the time, that we learn how to be givers. And this is how the body of Christ will be built up. Now, the writer of Hebrews closes out with now a positive exhortation. So that was a negative. Not neglecting to meet together or to assemble together, as some are in the habit of doing. But then now he turns the focus and he closes out by this positive exhortation. He simply tells the believers to encourage one another with the motivation of seeing the second coming of Christ. That's what it means by the the day of the Lord, the day that is coming. It is referring to Jesus Christ's second coming. As believers, uh, as we put our focus on the future and what is to come, it will help us to be faithful to what God is calling us to do. This is what helps us when we commit to each other in relationships. As we're on this journey, we're looking ahead and we're saying Jesus Christ will come back. And as he comes back, we want to be ready. We don't know when that time will be, but we want to be ready. And this is where we can encourage one another, lift up one another. Some of us who are going through a lot of struggles. Some of you right now, you might be in a lot of pain. Some of you might be feeling lonely or struggling with different issues in your life. Some of the old addictions have come back. And as you're sitting there by yourself, or maybe some of us just throughout the week, we're feeling a lot of anxiety and depression. And I'm wondering, do you have people who are committed to you, who love you, who want to help you? And you could walk in this journey together as they point you to the second coming of Christ. To say that the life that we have here, the things that we're experiencing, they're just pale in comparison to what we're going to be able to experience in heaven. Those are the kind of encouragements that we need as we walk in this journey. These are the type of people we need to be committed to. Uh, I want to challenge us as we think about just relationships and how we got to do it differently, especially in light of everything that's going on. That really means we got to learn how to help each other and support each other. And we have to do it patiently, lovingly. Being able to say, hey, I'm going to challenge you where I need to challenge you, but I'm going to do it in loving grace and speaking the truth, not shying away. But also, I want to be committed to you that this relationship that God has brought into my life, I want to help you to get to where God wants you to be. And one day he's going to take both of us home and we want to be able to be on this journey together. And that's why we must commit to each other. So the one thing, once again, is that we must do relationships differently so that we can help each other patiently. As we do it according to what the Word of God says, as we challenge one another, commit to each other, that's when we're going to see God doing some great things. So can I give us some quick next steps? As I was thinking about like what are some things we could actually do this coming week? 
What are some things that we could do in our lives to really strengthen these kind of relationships that God has brought in our lives? I think the first thing is this, spend purposeful time with people. I, I know that many of you just, just hang out and, and there's nothing wrong with just chilling and hanging out. But as you know, we're, there's so much to do. The, the, some of us, our schedules are crazy. We're, we're busy. But we still need to be committed to each other. We still need to help each other and uh, challenge one another. That means that you've got to spend purposeful time. So when you do spend time, when you set up an appointment, don't just be like, okay, let's just get together. But think to yourself, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to pour into this person? How can I serve this person with that kind of mindset to pour into them, to give to them? And so spend purposeful time with people. Even this week, as you make appointments with people, make sure it's purposeful. The second thing is this, strengthen your current relationships. This is something that has to be ongoing, to learn how to strengthen the relationships that you have. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing more and more because so, there's, there are friends and people that I haven't been in contact with. And I realize that as soon as we get in touch with one another, it just seems like we never, uh, we've never been apart from each other. But the thing is this, I'm realizing that part of good relationships is learning how to strengthen it. Little by little. Listen to what Neil T. Anderson said in his book, Daily in Christ. He writes this, Aloneness can lead to loneliness. God's preventive, uh, preventative for loneliness is intimacy. Meaningful, open, sharing relationships with one another. In Christ, we have the capacity for the fulfilling sense of belonging, which comes from intimate fellowship with God and with other believers. What a great reminder. That the cure for loneliness, the cure for even this aloneness and things that we experience in our lives, it comes down to intimacy, our intimacy with God and then intimacy with people around us that God has given us. So I pray that God will help you to strengthen the current relationships that you have. The third thing is this, stand unified in love. It's so important that we are unified together in Christ's love, especially during these times. And if some of you are struggling, some of your relationship with people around you are struggling, there's a lot of conflicts that are going on. I hope you can see beyond your own life and self-centered issues that you have to say, something is going on here. Something's happening in my relationship with my kids or in my, with my spouse or with my coworker or with some of my friends. Because naturally we tend to be like, why are they like this? Rather than looking and say, God, is, is Satan trying to bring disunity? Is there something going on that I do not see? And so when you stand unified in love, in the love of Christ, this is where you're going to see relationships getting stronger. And then the fourth and last thing is serve those around you. Part of learning how to do relationships differently, as I mentioned throughout my sermon today, Instead of being a taker, learn how to be a giver. When you learn how to serve other people around you, that's when not only do you experience great joy, but you bring blessings to people around you. And that's how we're going to be able to shine and display Christ in all that we do. I wanted to close out by showing you uh, the end of the year video. As you know, some of us in after every cycle of our ministry, we have an opportunity just to kind of 
gather all the different videos and all the different pictures and everything that happened throughout the whole year and to kind of put it together in a video. So praise God to our ministry teams who put this together. And um, my encouragement to you is as you're watching this, just think about all the different events. They were not just something that we did, but a lot of it connected to relationships. A lot of it was what God was doing in our lives and in our community, even though there were so many things around us that caused so much of the angst and pain and frustration that we felt. But we know that God was still in control, that God is doing something that we cannot see with our eyes right now, but he's doing something beautiful. And that's why we can trust him. That's why we can believe that he's going to do something incredible even through this. So I wanted to show you this video, the end of the year video and everything that God did. I pray that after we watch this, we can give some praise to God because of his faithfulness to us. And because of that, as we challenge each other and as we commit to each other, may our relationships be done differently as we learn how to serve each other and do it with patience for the glory of God. So let's watch it together, shall we? Amen. Wherever you are right now, can we just give the Lord a clap and just praise God for all that he has done? Amen and amen. Uh, we just wanted to thank all of you who participated this past year in our church. As you saw in the video, that really is a testimony of the relationships that God enabled us to have. And this is the reason why the way we do church has to always be different from the world. Uh, that it's, it's a place where people could come who are struggling, who are broken, who are weak, and they could come and experience this amazing message of the gospel, the good news, that God created all things, and because of sin entering in, it completely ruined what God has planned, but God is still in control, and that's why He sent His one and only Son to come and redeem us, and now He's giving us a privilege to restore people's lives around us and restore even the city and the world for the glory of God and this is the reason why I want to just invite some of us uh, I'm going to ask us if wherever you are right now can we just stand together can we just all stand and as you're standing I want to I want to invite some of us who might have been hearing our messages or you've been coming out to life group but you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm one of those guys that believe that there is no such thing as an accident or a coincidence. God always has a purpose and a plan. That's why God brought you to that university. That's why God brought you to Hong Kong with, with that job. There's a purpose in everything that he does. And I'm wondering if he brought you into our community so that you can experience the love of God. And all you have to do is just humble yourself and realize that you cannot live this life on your own. You cannot save yourself. You and I, all of us, we're bankrupt morally, spiritually. And what we need is someone to save us, someone to take our place. And that was Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he died on the cross, suffered as he was nailed to the cross and he died and then rose again on the third day and that now he's ascended into heaven he's sitting on the right hand of God Father Almighty and if you would just humble yourself and say God I need you 
He's going to come in and do something incredible in your life. And I'm just praying that this will be something that you can say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. And he's going to do that work in your life. For those of us who are believers, I want to just challenge us once again. How are we doing relationships? Whether it's the people who are closest to us or maybe even those that God has called us to love. And they're sometimes very hard to love. But I'm wondering if God is wanting to use you in this global situation to be the salt and light for the glory of God. Let's flip that switch and say, God, you have a greater purpose. Everything that's happening, there's a reason for it. Strengthen my relation with my parents, with my family, with my kids, with my spouse. Strengthen my relation with my co-workers. You're doing something, even rekindling some of these old friendships that I had that I lost in touch with. But you're slowly bringing them back into my life and God is doing something. Let's, let's have that kind of mindset. Whatever it is that you're doing, God, you're faithful. You are faithful. And you're doing something for your glory and for your honor. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, all we can say is we are surrendered to you, your purposes, your will. Remind us, Lord, as the body of Christ, the church, the faith community, that we got to do relationships differently. We just know, Lord, your faithfulness has carried us thus far, and you will continue to carry us, Lord, into the future. We thank you, Lord, there hasn't been a single day that passed by without your faithfulness leading us and guiding us. Thank you, Lord God, for being our God. And we worship you. We thank you. And as we close out here, Lord, we just pray that as we sing these songs, may it just be a worship to you. May it be our prayers that rise up from deep within as we talk about your goodness, your faithfulness, and even your greatness. So receive these praises. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.